0: This is Conducting Business, I'm Naomi Lewin. If there's one news story that may define the summer of 2015 in music, it could well be the launch of Apple's streaming music service. The much-discussed Apple Music, which rolled out on June 30th in 100 countries, is being touted for its deep music catalog and lots of personalized recommendations. But how does it stack up against the other big streaming options, including Pandora, Spotify, and Google Play, which just unveiled a deal with several major orchestras last month? For some perspective, we are joined by Kirk McElhern, a senior contributor to Macworld and a tech writer for several other websites and outlets, and by Craig Havighurst. He's a writer and broadcaster from Nashville who has reported on a wide variety of music topics. He's currently the artist, interviewer, and blogger for the weekly show Music City Roots. Craig Apple is selling its service as one of depth, with more than 30 million songs, in quotation marks, and with personalized curation to give you recommendations. How well does it work for classical music fans?
1: Well, I haven't
2: seen any great break from the trajectory that iTunes set in motion 12 or 13 years ago when iTunes began, which was to treat classical music and other art genres as secondary to uh, any genre based in popular songs, where the artist title album structure for searching and, and, and sorting the music you purchased uh, kind of organized the way you saw the musical world and the way they recommend things. So it's never been a great platform for classical. Alex Ross wrote about that this uh, last week in The New Yorker as well. And it doesn't seem like anything's changed, especially in the emphasis on providing the listener with abundant information about each recording. And fans of classical and jazz especially crave uh, context and crave background and want to be able to know who a soloist is or who a conductor is, but that artist uh, catch-all doesn't explain that, and I don't see any change.
0: Kirk, Apple's promotional copy talks about Experts who handpick songs, artists, and albums that are based on what you listen to and like. Do those experts succeed for you?
1: Well, they're doing pretty good with all of the playlists that I'm seeing with music by the Grateful Dead or Miles Davis and things like that. But for classical music, it's pretty abysmal. As Craig said, they don't really focus on composers and actually the itunes store does have a column when you're looking at an album that lists the name of the composers but in apple music when you're streaming something that information is totally missing so you may look at an album that's say um, an album with a number of works by different composers say a piano recital and if you don't know that the sonata with the k is by mozart and the BWV is by bach you won't know who the music is by Now, if the music's in your library, you can select a track, and you can right-click, you get info, and you can see some of the metadata, and you'll see the composer's name, but you can't do that when you're streaming. So unless you've got an album that is, let's say, all music by Wagner or John Cage or Charles Ives, you can be a little bit lost if you're not familiar with the music as to who it's by.
0: And I would guess you're pretty lucky if Charles Ives comes up in the playlist.
1: I haven't gotten any Charles Ives, but I have gotten some John Cage, so I'll give them credit for that.
0: Well, people have always complained that Apple couldn't match its iTunes metadata to the way classical music is categorized. For instance, that they call selections songs rather than pieces. And, like, if you search for Beethoven's Fifth, you get individual movements, songs, instead of the whole enchilada. Are they solving any of that with the new Apple Music?
1: I don't think they are, and I'm not convinced they're trying. Uh, I've been writing about iTunes for a very long time, and I prefer using the word track instead of songs. I think it's more appropriate for all kinds of music, jazz, classical, etc. Um, but the, the whole concept of streaming just doesn't fit with the way people listen to classical music. If, if streaming were to group Um, works as works, so a four-movement string quartet would be held together instead of playing the third movement of it, then there would be some logic. But I just don't think Apple, I don't think the classical music listener is part of the target demographic. There are so few people who listen to classical music anyway that Apple probably just lumps it in as an afterthought. And that gets at the problem. iTunes, Apple is merely
2: one of you know dozens and dozens of media players that have the potential to bring information about this these other worlds of music to the general public but they parcel out coverage of music based on the dominant form and and recognizability and if classical and jazz listeners are four to five percent of the market they are the ones who get underserved and the problem is that if you go a generation after generation and in these days a the generation is very short you know as these people as young people uh, coming of age uh, you know adopt into the digital music ecosystem and the way music is covered on television in magazines in their general newspapers on Facebook where there used to be an obligation by the mainstream press to put Uh, whether it was Leonard Bernstein or or Toscanini or Thelonious Monk in the face of their listeners on the cover of Time magazine or or they had an obligation to cover the finest music made. That's all fallen by the wayside over the last uh, three decades and so iTunes isn't alone here.
0: Well speaking of how music is curated. In the old days, you would go to the record store and the sort of rumpled, music geeky clerk who was passionate about the stuff would steer you in the right direction. Who's curating the music now? How does Apple measure up to that?
1: The problem with Apple Music is it's very young. So... The curation, and I really hate that word, it, it's more of selection. Um, this is being done by Apple's own editors. Now, I don't know how many people they have doing classical music. Um, from the number of playlists they propose, it's not very many. I think Apple Music's going to evolve to allow listeners to create playlists, which you can already do on Spotify. Now, Spotify's interesting because there are some people who are real classical music fans who create playlists and... This isn't a track from a symphony followed by a track from a piano. On the other hand, I'm looking right now at Spotify's classical music playlist, and you get the kinds of playlists called music for concentration, or zen focus, or intense studying, Mm -hmm. or gentle classical for the evening hours. And unfortunately, classical music to the mainstream listener is, uh, to, to cite the name of another playlist I see, Background Bach.
0: Ouch. Yeah. And, Kirk, I understand that when you set up Apple Music on your machine and typed in your favorite stuff, it gave you a recommended playlist called Classical Music for Elevators.
1: So one of, the, one of the sections of Apple Music is called For You, and that's the recommendation part. And this is based in part on what you've listened and rated, what you've purchased from the iTunes store, and the first classical playlist I got was Classical Music for Elevators. You spend a lot of
0: time in meeting. elevators?
1: As little as possible. And there aren't that many classical pieces that last, that are short enough to listen to in an elevator anyway.
0: So how much is Apple aiming for serious music and how much for lifestyle if you happen to live in an elevator?
1: Actually, I don't think any of these streaming services actually aim for serious music in air quotes. We're at a, a pivotal point where music consumption is changing from buying to renting. And I don't think people have really figured out how they're going to do this and get it right. Uh, I wrote an article some months ago and I talked to a number of people from classical record labels and one of the things that um, Klaus Hammond of Naxos Records pointed out is the fact that a 10-minute movement of a symphony is paid in streaming rates at the same amount as a four-minute song. I was listening to a Morton Feldman work last night that was about 70 minutes long and if the record label only gets whatever it is, 8, 10 cents for that, um, classical music is handicapped immediately by the financial model. So it's, it's song-based.
0: T- it's to their advantage to steer you to shorter pieces. Uh, Craig, what has been your experience?
2: Kirk is right that I, that Apple Music is new, but iTunes has had so many years to figure out innovative ways of organizing and, and promoting and exposing all kinds of music to people and to build a real music ecosystem that would be on par with their really impressive uh, computing ecosystem for uh, the you know, desktop operating system or the iPhone system, which I think are both tremendous. And yet, in iTunes, the first thing that happened was music became just another medium alongside video, TV, then they added podcasts, games, Uh, that you see this array of the other things that could distract you and that indeed are distracting our culture from listening to music and focusing on music, it became an all-purpose media player, and even the musical side of iTunes became an afterthought. And one of the reasons I think people are excited by vinyl again, it has less to do with the tactile quality, but I think that people are excited to have a system that is only there to play music and not be your all-purpose multimedia delivery system, which is by definition just shoving music over into the
0: corner. You posted, Craig, a review of, of Apple Music on medium.com in which you took issue with the lack of, as you put it, information, context, history, or musical connections. Can you explain what you meant?
2: Yeah, you start with the uh, lack of liner notes. I actually grabbed a screenshot of my copy of Miles Davis's Kind of Blue, the first jazz album that was ever given to me when I was a teenager. And while I listened, I read the back. And the reading of the back of that LP changed my life. It, it showed me how to think about what I was listening to. Not only does iTunes not have the essay by Bill Evans and the personnel, even if you were searching for it, you can't find that, It tells you that the the album came out in 1997, which is of course when the digital reissue came out. It was automated into the system, and neither Apple or Spotify has bothered to go through and even go so far as to fix the release dates of the major catalog by major artists in any genre. Rolling Stones albums are all out of sequence, and if you take away that history and give uh, the listener a chance to explore the history and ask questions and interrogate the music, you know they've got to go over to the web to do that it used to be rolled in with the product you bought which was the LP it was became it uh, with it and I think that that changed a lot of lives including mine so that's what my, that's my complaint
0: are there any online streaming services that either of you know about that give you that kind of information that you used to get on the back of the record jacket
1: let me just react to what Craig said it's not Apple's fault that the liner notes are not available for most albums on the iTunes store. A record label can submit a PDF file with liner notes, and you'll see this for a number of classical albums and some pop and rock albums. It's the record label's fault for being too cheap and too lazy to do it. Um, Apple has provided mm-hmm. this capability, and they started this some years ago. Um, very few record labels actually do this. The major classical labels like Deutsche Gramophone do. Um, some of the smaller labels do as well. So don't blame Apple for record labels being cheap.
0: By the way, we did reach out to Apple for a comment on this and didn't hear back from them.
2: Kirk's point is uh, very fair, but I am puzzled that Apple has not essentially created a kind of uh, ability for developers to create apps that wrap around the iTunes feed or, or Spotify, that there's a kind of a closed... Ecosystem uh, walled off thing with with iTunes that doesn't sort of reflect the other ways you can use your Apple products. And I would think that people could build skins and web interfaces that serve different constituencies and served at really active, curious listeners while powered by the iTunes Store and the, and Apple Music. I, w- I would hope we could see that. There's no reason that they couldn't go that way.
0: That brings us to the bigger question. What happens when a few technology companies are the custodians of the recorded legacy? Can we trust them to keep historic recordings in the catalog? And also, if you or I don't ever actually own the music because it goes away when we unsubscribe, then what?
1: interesting question so the recording industry loves the fact that apple is going into music streaming because they're hoping that there will be let's say at a minimum a hundred million people who agreed to pay a stipend to the recording industry of ten dollars a month or the local equivalent um, for the rest of their lives uh, whether people will pay that sort of vig every month as long as they're living uh, remains to be seen but it's true I, i'm a i'm a music guy i was one of those guys in the record store in high fidelity. I'm a deadhead. I love classical music. I love punk. I buy hundreds of CDs a year, so I'm always going to have music. Uh, It's people who don't buy CDs, so we're going to run out of music. But, hey, they're listening to playlists like music for concentration and classical music for elevators, so does it even matter for them?
0: Craig?
2: I think we're seeing the very beginnings and stirrings of a general uh, reawakening about what composed music and and ensemble-based music and instrumental music is and can be and can do, classical and jazz in some way shot themselves in the foot for new audiences for many years because of these eras when avant-garde was the only acceptable kind of fashionable thing and people got an early impression at some point of modern classical and went, ah, I don't get that, I don't like that, I'll never, and they sort of, that's their imprint forever. But there is finally bubbling in many cities uh, even here in Nashville. smaller ensembles that are more flexible and lightweight and they they do pop-up concerts and surprise events and they are repackaging a 20th and 21st century repertoire and trying to bring young new relevant composers out of the woodwork and put them on a pedestal that is a big effort but it's really got to happen you've got to rebuild the culture of exciting new music. I totally agree we don't need more recordings of, of historic works except for selective moments, but what about today's you know, 20, 30, and 40-something composers doing great work and creating an, an audience again for composed music?
0: Well, thank you both very much. Our guests were Kirk McElhern, a senior contributor to Macworld, among other websites, and Craig havockhurst artist, interviewer, and blogger for Music City Roots. Brian Wise produces Conducting Business. I'm Naomi Lewin. Thanks for listening.